Hello, and welcome to Cool for Cats with me, Amy Hughes. We're inviting you in for black coffee and a chat about our favorite band, Squeeze. In this episode, I'm welcoming back to the podcast, your friend and mine, Dan Rivkin. Hello, Dan. How are you? Hello, Amy. I'm very good. I'm even better now. Oh, wonderful. Well, this is going to be what you and I both would consider to be a very um, interesting topic. It's a very special episode. It is. It's quite It's quite unusual. Um, it could be even considered a taboo. I don't know. But we're going to throw our cards down. We're going to um, open up the vaults, as it were, and do a nice clean sweep. <laughs> Unintended. <laughs> Uh, the theme today in this podcast will be Glenn Tilbrook's hair. Waiting for the applause to die down. Okay. Okay. I, I, right. can, I can hear it off in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how do we approach this? You are probably going to be the instigator of a lot of what's ah. going to be happening here. And I mean that in the most sincere way. So... Former father of Squeeze on the Web, what's your? Uh, what do you first think of when people kind of start talking about Glenn Tilbrook's hair? Well, that's and that's the funny thing because, you know, it's it's like it's sort of like what we were just talking about before we started. It's like talking about the weather, right? I mean, there's snow, there's rain, there's uh, uh, heat, there's cold. I mean, there's there is so much to be said because there are so many different different styles. Um, on his head, on his face. Um, and what's interesting is that in, in, in going with a broader, in a broader space, it still, it still never did much to define Squeeze's image. And it almost like didn't define Glenn's image. He just, he just had different kinds of hairstyles. There wasn't like the, you know, there may have been the flowing hair period or the bearded period, but there wasn't necessarily the, you know, the Sgt. Pepper mustache period or the, the mop top. You know what I mean? Right. There was nothing that seemed to define him except for the fact that that's who he was, you know? And I know that we all can say, well, we know the, the bearded period for the Beatles was, you know, 69, 70, you know, and, mm. and getting the hair longer. And, but, you know, the, the Beatles are a universe unto themselves. Mm -hmm. And there is definitely a lot of bands out there that, you know, well, for instance, we always talk about the hair bands, mm. you know, I mean, that, 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 that just says so much. So, when we talk about uh, when we talk about Glenn, I mean, wow, are we getting too deep in here? <laughs> the, length, well, the shortness of it, the facial hair. Why do people have such uh, such a vested interest in it? When well, we yeah. always complain that the, everything is not visual about Squeeze, that's for sure. Well, you know, it's something. It's something we can sort of almost. I want to say hang our, hang our hats on. Um, it's something we could sort of point to because, you know, I, one thing I wrote down here was for their whole career, you have different Tilburg hung with the whole next, going back to it, next land McCartney, you had this very definitive definition of their sound and there never was a definition ever of their, of their look. 
and it it is it is a touchstone to kind of go with. Um, you have you have a route now now that we're in 2023. You know, going back to the mid 70s, you really have a real rotating cast of band members. Chris's look. At, you know, it changed a little bit, but it didn't change quite so radically as Glenn. So you have, you can say, hey, Jules Holland is different than Paul Carrick uh, and so on, but you can't, Glenn is, Glenn is a constant with Chris, but Glenn had such radical changes within himself visually, even if, even if his voice really never changed. Now, that's an interesting point to bring up because... We've always been cognizant of the fact of singers that are so beloved, a la Paul McCartney, mm-hmm. who we can definitely see where his voice has aged. Um, but we look at people like uh, Tom Jones, who's the same age. He sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also look at Glenn, who has spanned, you know, coming up almost 50 years um, and he still got that sort of, I guess, for want of a better description, that choir boy um, mm-hmm. tremolo to his voice. But yet again, that's still not quite the definition of what we as Squeeze fans defined, um, you know, them, uh, you know, and he's not really he is a lead singer, too. But you have to couch him with Chris, you know, you have mm-hmm. the yin and the yang. So he's not, so, he's not, he's not purely a front man. Right. He's, he's, you know, he's contributing and, and has always said that, you know, it's, he, he was glad to give up tempted to, to mm-hmm. Paul Carrick. Cause that was, you know, that was kind of like an acquiesce with, with Elvis Costello thing and Elvis saying, I think Paul's a better singer for this song. And mm-hmm. now, Glenn's been singing it for now 40 years and he changes it up a little bit. But with regards to the styles that have been going on through the years, do you think that Glenn sort of reflects pretty much just the time period and we're kind of picking because picking on that a little bit because he's in squeeze? Probably. And and it's funny because I, I looked back because you know the, the the spark of our conversation is certainly the mid like the dead mid eighties nineteen eighty five cozy era the, the the biggest Harry he had of all right um, and I was curious all right so eighty four eighty five who were who were the peers on MTV and who were the peers on the charts and it was um, you know like Robert Smith and George Michael and uh, Lou Graham from Foreigner and Daryl Hall and Paul Young and uh, uh, Roland from from uh, Tears of Fears. It's like they all had they all had the hair. It wasn't just like metal guys who had the big hair. It was his peers, right? Um, I, I even looked. I even looked, and it's you know he had the headband, but Deptford's own Mark Knopfler. You know, if you look at the right angle in in, in the in the whole Money for Nothing era, that's it, his hair is kind of big. You know, so it, it's I, I think we are. We we we're jumping on it because we're squeeze fans, but it does seem even even his peers, you know, outside of a few, uh, you know, Chris Difford, you know, outside of a few, they didn't have it. I'll say as someone who can no longer have big hair, that I'm you know impressed and jealous, and maybe that's why I care <laughs> so much, you know. 
So <laughs> You're, you, we, we tend to overanalyze, you know, the, the preciousness of something when we view um, Glenn in up the junction and see that he's very angelic looking. And I, mm-hmm. and I said this also in, in previous podcasts where he gives off that air of being very sweet and very innocent. Um, and then, you know, the hair is just kind of very short and, you know, kind of, I don't know, almost like 1962 hair, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, you look at him from 1985 and now all of a sudden he's got um, past the Difford and Tilbrook era. And now we're moving into the cozy, you know, your favorite subject and mine, the cozy oh, family. Yeah. And the hair <laughs> is just blowing about. <laughs> and even the clothing. Now, here's something with the two of those put together, I was thinking Miami Vice. What are your thoughts? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think here uh, if there were enough pastels to, to hit that. I know he had those sort of colors in the past. He was wearing pink suits and pink ties and things like that. Um, it, it definitely, it, that definitely works. I mean, is, I mean, it's of the time, right? I mean, that was, that was as big as it got. Um, although, you know, it's funny cause I, I, I know you had recently spoken, uh, about the, uh, Daytona beach concert and I deliberately, I deliberately watched a few minutes of it earlier today. Um, and they absolutely didn't go for that look at all, despite being, despite being in, uh, you know, on the beach in Florida in 1980, in March, 1988. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that works. I'll, I, I, and one thing I, I, I want to say before before you follow up um speaking about the angelic glenn in 1985 so he's i did the math he's 28 27 28 years old i guess depends on kind of when when things were filmed um so he's obviously very young still you look at the photos of them you know in the in the pre before they had records out right the 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 lawrence impey book and just other photos from that 75 76 era has hair even longer but with the clothes being t-shirts and you know bell bottoms it really it it really even with the longer hair it doesn't it's not it's it's different you know yeah because they didn't they and and there's pictures too of chris with Mm -hmm. hair as long um and and jewels even all of the early all of the early shots of them um when they were together just uh, they're all like the basic, um, stereotypical, thin, uh, malnourished, yeah. <laughs> dirty jeans wearing kind of kids, um, which they were. And I'm sure because there was no thought to putting anything together cohesive for a look. Um, and even then moving on into the sort of, um, they weren't punk necessarily mm-hmm except they like to wear t-shirts a lot, but the antithesis of that was getting into the sort of new wave, uh, mm-hmm. being smartly dressed. Um, you know, they, they had the peers, I guess, in that, in that respect would be like Paul Weller. Or, um, or, or, or Elvis Costello. I mean, you talk right. about a, 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 a true peer. And again, I adore Elvis Costello. love every, every aspect of his career. I looked through, I mean, I, I knew this also, but I looked through it just to make sure I wasn't missing something, you know, Every single album f- through that period, Elvis Costello looks exactly alike. 
he's presented in every single video, whether it's accidents will happen or radio radio or or whatever it is he's exactly alike same jacket not not the same jacket but the same the same look uh, as as far as how he presented himself um and that you know that i i don't know where i was going with that but you were because i interrupted you <laughs> so you should pick up where you were going <laughs> no, they all there was and i agree with you about elvis there was like a sort of brand yeah you know? That, that Elvis was able to adhere to. Um, and it really didn't matter so much about the attractions. I mean, they all sort of had right. that same aesthetic, um, which is very minimal. But again, you look back, um, I was, like I said, I was thinking of Paul Weller, um, mm -hmm. who in fact was actually quite emanating that sort of um, mid 70s uh, thing through Quadrophenia. Um, mm. You know, the skinny ties and, and all of that. Even Bowie was doing that back in that time period of like 83, 84, 85. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, you had a lot of uh, bands like Madness and the style, uh, like I say, the style council, but the English mm -hmm. beat. So they all went for this sort of slightly sinister, but trying to make a unified um, statement. And I just wonder, again, if that was just part of the culture that they all just presented, which then again, unfortunately, got them labeled as all yes. the same, you know? Yes. And, go ahead. Uh, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing you bring up because there's a there's a newspaper article I read from your Boston Globe, 1979. Um, it was a review of their concert. And one of the lines said, the band has no particular image, philosophy, or messages to throw at anyone. Its songs are mostly about sex, bars, and the difficulties of growing up in this modern age, which obviously there's more to it than just that. Um, although they did, they did cover those subjects very well. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe because Elvis Costello s sang from a different standpoint or the jam, you know, maybe, maybe there's not to say something to that, but maybe that sort of, I don't want to say faceless. They weren't faceless. The, this, the sort of like come, come as you are um, presentation, just that was, that was what they were. It would it would have been strange to to you know if Brian Epstein took them and and put them in suits and put them on stage the same way it, it wouldn't have, it, I feel like it wouldn't have worked. Absolutely, I mean, we... like like could you like could you could you see Jules Holland as anything other than you know smoking a cigar and wearing the bow tie and and a letter you know it it just it just it's just not who, what they were. It's interesting that we keep going back to Daytona because you know. Um... You look at that. You look at that particular uh, slice of time, and they're being presented as an MTV band, which you know, come on, they really weren't. Mm. But they were having a huge, huge resurgence at that point with Hourglass, and um, so MTV, you know, probably thought, you know, this is a great place; they'll get more exposure. Maybe or maybe not. They're relating to these, you know, drunk college kids mm -hmm. on the beach in Daytona, but certainly they did not dress the part. I mean, right. uh, Jules went out there with spats and, uh, <laughs> you know, that sort of fedora thing that he was wearing and everybody was kind of almost in suits. I mean, Chris was wearing a bowler, you know what I right. mean? The only one who looked sort of respectably correct in that setting was Gilson. <laughs> right. And he was still, and he was still wearing long sleeves to the point where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm seeing people in bikinis. How, how, what was like, what was the weather like? 
And I went and looked, and it was 70 degrees, which seems like, all right, I, I could get, I can get that he would be wearing on like March 18th, 1988 or whatever day that was. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. And, and he, even him still was wearing, wasn't he wearing like a striped shirt? It wasn't like it was some sort of anything casual. Right. I mean, they did in that respect kind of present the band again as grown up versions of mm-hmm. themselves. Uh, not that they couldn't relate to what was going on. And, you know, actually, Glenn's hair at that time was was pretty okay. He was mostly mm-hmm. swept for the whole hour or so. <laughs> that we it's saw. always it's always okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay you know, is the baseline, right? And <laughs> but I also thought about, um, you know, if we were talking about, you know, his hair, then everybody did kind of go post seventy six. Everybody kind of did go punky. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if everybody had their hair like shoulder length and I just, again, had this conversation recently with um, uh, a guest that uh, Glenn's girlfriend uh, was a heavy influence Mm. on him and they were obviously very young, but they almost looked the same back at that time, 14, Mm -hmm. 15 years old. So, you know, you could possibly be getting a little bit of influence, uh, you know, from that, you know, as a couple, you know, who doesn't want to impress who, you know, in that situation. But then you start to graduate to where the Sex Pistols were starting to come up and make a big scene. And Gen X, uh, I think that was Billy Idol's group uh, Mm -hmm. at that time. And all those people, then the hair almost got shorn off. Jules, like he got like practically a buzz cut thing. You know, everybody got their hair cut. And then they started wearing the T-shirts and jeans. So maybe that was just, again, a thing. You know, Glenn just really, it, it was like almost overnight, just chopped all his hair off. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I I was curious to see what, you know, what was the the initial presentation of Squeeze to, you know, to the world and you know you have you have on their debut album well for one thing they're almost naked so they're like being born they're like being born to all of us right uh, on the back cover and you know glenn's hair is just a, kind of a mess and without any sort of like any order it wasn't even like it was a like a mess that was like a style it just was like rolling out of bed mess and then you have back-to-back albums where he's wearing a hat covering covering it all up I know. And also, um, you know, correct me if I run, but I guess most most Americans got mm-hmm. their real big first look through the tempted video that they were miming miming to on on the stage. And, you know, it the focus is mostly on 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 Paul, who looks very, very new romantic, very oh, yeah. and then the little spiky haircut he had back then. <laughs> and Glenn strides to the front, you know, that big, nice long stride, and he's got like these Goldilocks, like this mm-hmm. just sparkling hair that stands out like six million miles. And I don't know if again this was just a phase. Um, you know, can you think of any other contemporaries that were kind of maybe going through that style where we're just on the edge of, um, everybody kind of looking, you know, respectable now, or do you think that was just cause for the whole video revolution? That feels more like it, right? I mean, doesn't, cause they were certainly conscious of it. All, all the way through, e- even to the point of where, you know, I mean, I know we're skipping ahead of record, so we have 
we have black coffee in bed and the whole idea that they they didn't think that was going to be the take right the the one where they're all sort of i want to say drowsy but you know they're they're cooked right um <laughs> so i mean then same i mean same thing with up the junction too right so um after a long day it, it's I, I i would put i would put my this is based on nothing i would put my money on that being maybe we're at the point finally where there is someone being paid by someone to kind of Hey, we need these guys to look good. We're not just going to have another. We're not. We're not just going to have a video of, of of them miming. Just throw it up there. Maybe maybe we could do something that's a little bit designed. Well, I'll tell you before we jump way way ahead. You know, with all of the the high priced video shoots that were happening. You know, I did remember reading in Miles Copeland's um, recent autobiography saying that he admired Chris and Glenn as songwriters. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just universal. And, um, but he was concerned when he took on the managerial duties early on about their look. And so he gave them, uh, Chris and Glenn, he gave them like 50 pounds or something like that back in the day. And they, he says, go, go, go out and get some nice clothes, you know, just please, you know, he wasn't pressuring them or something, but just something nice, you know? And apparently they came back with the most outlandish. Right, right. uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would not look anything like what was supposed to happen. You know, I don't know if it was like leopard prints and everything that would throw a colorblind person into a, a fit. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I get that it's not their natural state, right? I, you know, I, or, I'm, I'm sorry, that's their natural state to go ahead and buy whatever it is. Um, so, so, so to be, to be thrown in, they weren't going to go out and buy buy suits and ties and and fancy shoes and things like that. So, but that was always who they were, right? But I mean, it's 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 interesting to see that Glenn was able to stand out um, with the hair situation. Can we call it that? I, I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> hair situation, the hair issue, right. um, and yet people like Jules had already established a sort of uh, personality uh, for the stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it was interesting, I, I, I saw, um, you know, when you watch, when you watch uh, the 88 Daytona, for some reason, and I know we know some, a lot of the backstories and the history of what was going on at the time, but you can definitely tell Jules was like, meh, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. But back in the day, you know, yeah, there was the cigar chomping, uh, sunglasses wearing. Teenager. Uh, yeah, that stood out yeah. because, really because of those two things. So I always find it hard to think, well, again, everybody's just who they are. Or did they just like not give a damn, you know, and that was part of the charm? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling like that may have been the case. Um, I have a, I have a quote here somewhere from, uh, maybe I can't find it now. Uh, Jules, uh, in, in, in Jules' memoirs, um, Bareface Lies and Boogie Woogie Boasts, there's one point here where it, it was, it was in the night, around 1976-ish. It's in a passage that comes after where he talks about Christmas 75. Here's a quote. Miles viewed us as dirty and unkempt and foul-mouthed already. And once punk took hold, he was keen for us to move more officially into that category by getting our, our hair spiky or other such stamps of authenticity. But we said that getting your hair done, in quotes, done, was what ponces did. 
and that apparently is some sort of slang for pimps. So, I mean, they 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 were they were real, and that's just they, they just weren't going to go down that road. Yeah, and I understand like where they were headed, and obviously, um, people seem to forget that with them and the police and Miles being kind of in the middle of there and um, the association, of course, with, with, with Stewart and Miles and that sort of thing, people forget that, you know, Miles also wanted to give the police a look, mm-hmm. um, like the whole thing. And that's how Sting got his nickname uh, because he dressed in yellow and black and he got the hair right. spiky and bleached it and he looked like a bee. And that's why he called him Sting. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, right? That's, that, that's, that's the story I always knew. Yeah. And it didn't look like that was going to happen, um, with squeeze, you know, they were going to go and do what they wanted to do as far as the visuals were concerned. And there's nothing quite really memorable. It was going to have to be the singing and the songwriting. If, you know, I'm not mistaken, because here we are discussing this mm-hmm. and we're calling up all of those visuals, all of their peer visuals. And here we are sitting here like, mm, I guess not. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, we know, we know it carried them. We know they had critical acclaim all along. It's, it's, I mean, the problem's us, right? I mean, the, the global us, we, we weren't able to see past sort of that ordinary or that non spectacular, uh, uh, visual of them. Um, you know, if, if we were able to, you know, the, hey, look, the Beatles were amazing musicians. The Beatles were also really dynamic visually, right? I mean, you, 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 we already talked about, we, we know what era, we could look at a picture of any Beatle pretty much from any time. And people like you and I, we could pinpoint what, what month it was, what week it was, right? With Squeeze, it just wasn't ever that. Um, and, and that's okay, but unfortunately it didn't sort of get them with you know MTV happening in what 1981 it, it just it was the wrong it was the worst possible time for that right if they were they were they were reaching critical mass they were reaching that sort of um they were becoming so their music has always been good but you know you have East Side Story and they're getting that critical reception you have the flap on you know the the Sweets of a Stranger LP with all the critical whatever it is, but it was the worst time because they didn't have that look to kind of go with that critical claim. If there was no MTV, does does Squeeze become if MTV comes out in nineteen eighty five, does Squeeze rise even further in eighty two and eighty one? You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, um, having had this discussion with with numerous people who are devoted to Squeeze, like you and I, we um, always tend to agree with the band saying, well, we had to do what we had to do because of the times, you know, mm-hmm. if, if the record label said, okay, well, we need you to do this and that to get the song played um, hand in hand with radio stations, then they just, okay, yeah, that's, you know, but what we have to do, like the Beatles did, you know, they just, okay, yeah, we got to go for this photo shoot and that photo shoot and make this and do that, you know, just to get the word out. If, if, mm-hmm a slightly different, you know, uh, realm, but, um, you know, here's an interesting, uh, kind of side note. I was, I was thinking about it. Squeeze came along at a time when there were, uh, especially, and I want to focus on A&M records had a lot of 
clout because of the people that were there and the people running the record label. And yet, I distinctly remember reading about an article that just about the time that Squeeze were coming onto the label or had just signed, um, Karen Carpenter was extremely concerned about what was going to happen to her. Hmm. And she felt that the label was kind of abandoning her and her brother and any other soft rock um, act. Um, And she was extremely uh, pointed about not going directly after Squeeze, but indicating that she felt the label was really out of touch and, you know, like leaving them by the wayside. And I don't Mm -hmm. mean to kind of put words in anybody's mouths or how anybody was ever treated back at that time, but you can kind of see my point, right? Mm -hmm. That's really, that's really interesting. That's, and, and I mean, was, I mean, the sex pistols before, before squeeze, um, you you have to wonder what she thought of what she thought of that. I mean, squeeze is still, you know, she, if she had an issue with squeeze, you have to wonder what kind of issue she had with, with the sex pistols on A&M. Yeah. I don't, you know, it feels like sometimes when you look back at that, at that time frame, um, and miles didn't, you know, miles, miles was very, very happy to have the band, you know, signed to A&M, you know, because it's, you know, the record label of Herb Albert and those kind of thought patterns were still highly desired, uh, even though a band like Squeeze could come off as being, you know, like you say, a bunch of, you know, uh, dirt eating, uh, stinking <laughs> yabos, uh, for, <laughs> but somebody saw that's something. Not, and, that's not a, that's not a quote. Yes. No, that's <laughs> me making don't, up words right Don't here. get me, don't get me in trouble with those guys. I love no, them. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> We talked about the dirty bell bottoms, but anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, there there was also this other, if you want to tie it into an establishment of squeeze, how are they going to present themselves uh to to a record label? Because that's how it was back then, when you've got these legacy iconic acts on the label already, including Herb Albert himself. Um, how was that going to be perceived? And then you had MTV dumped on that as well, um, playing, you know, bands that nobody heard of, really. Mm-hmm. They just needed time to fill the airspace with what they could get. So, and they certainly weren't going to play anything of the Carpenters at that point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And, and yeah. So I wanted to find out, you know, there were other bands that kind of presented a united front, like you couldn't miss like the Go-Go's. You know, because they had a certain appeal and they they kept that that unity all together in their presentation on stage. But here with Squeeze, you've got like this blonde haired singer who plays absolutely amazing guitar. And then you've got this powerhouse drummer. You've got this really kind of charismatic piano player. And then you've got, um, you know, Chris, who kind of just performs and also John Bentley, who's, you know, definitely not in the spotlight either. So some of that is going to shift off to, to Glenn, don't you think? Yeah. And then on top of that, you lose the charismatic piano player. 
you know, he, I mean, he leaves the band kind of right at, right, right as they're sizzling at their, at their most. And, and, you know, East Side Story comes after Jules, but you still have, I mean, arguably the most charismatic member of the band leave. And they were kind of concerned about it, but not, you know, because they realized that whatever style they were going to be moving forward with, it just, Jules was, I guess, going to be bored, maybe? Sure, sure. And I, and I get that. But, um, you know, you have someone who, who leaves so he can have a, a career in, in, in entertainment, not just making music. And you wonder if Squeeze could have used Jules Holland at his most, um, as a marketer, at his peak marketing, I'm, I'm searching for the right word here, um, at, at, at his peak most brand manager, right? So he's a guy who is, who is so telegenic and and charismatic just at the time that that music television ex- was existing yeah and i I'm, I'm sure that nobody really had the the wherewithal sure to understand the impact um and i just having read a few things and growing up with mtv you know honestly um you know there it was such a strange odd thing to have especially when it started off that, um, you know, nobody really knew what was going to happen with it. And eventually it did become a big deal for uh, branding to look good, to sound different, and to have an amazing video to boot. So, I mean, if you kind of look at one of the very first videos that um, Squeeze did that was I would kind of say produced nicely and directed and it, it, it looked like a music video was another nail, another nail of my heart. And in that, you definitely had a chance to showcase Jules, you know, correct me yes. if I'm wrong, but that's, yes. that's right. No. Oh, yeah. And, and you end up having a song, you end up having a song without piano until the very end, but it was, but it's such a, but they used that to their advantage to make a really, just like you said, a really well-produced, funny, charming, video of a you know and i mean it's one of my favorite top three favorite squeeze songs but even if it wasn't it's it's such a it's such a charming song such a catchy song it's a great video and you know you have to sit there and say well why how did how did this not become a you know a hit in, in the united states at least um and i guess and i guess that's something actually that's a caveat i i felt i wanted to mention at some point you and i have a completely different point of view perhaps than people in england listening to this because we we know what their image sort of was presented here, uh, you know. I, I was thinking there was no there was no Rolling Stone cover of Squeeze. There was there was no like iconic visual like that of Squeeze here. You know, maybe maybe the Hourglass video, maybe you know, Tempted sort of, but it it really seems more like an audio thing for us in America, like hearing Squeeze. We don't have that top of the pops appear uh, you know appearance or anything like that. Um, or or record mirror covers or things like that. So um, that's another whole kind of layer to, to all of this. And, you know, it's interesting that you mention about uh, television because I did watch an appearance by Squeeze on American Bandstand. You know, and I did too. I did too today. It's kind <laughs> of painful because you got Dick coming up and – like nearly apologizing, but kind of being slightly patronizing. Right. 
because I'm sure that there were a lot of bands that came on and did what Squeeze did, and you didn't know who was going to make it, you know, mm-hmm. who, who was going to stand out from from the crowd. Um, and, you know, they weren't really singing, um, I don't know what the word is, radio-friendly, their radio-friendly versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. So I was always questioning how they were going to do because it felt like they were just being trekked out for something like that. And the music press was still not quite up to thunder, would you say? Like, you know, everybody talks about Rolling Stone and how that has to be the cover. You have to have that kind of coverage. But, you know, you had Trouser Press and uh, Cream and Crawdaddy and a couple of, uh, you know, local powerhouse in major metro areas at the time but the thing of it is is too is that i understand our 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 viewpoint is 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 severely skewed but with mtv they they became an entity that was repeated so much due to the lack of content yes Uh, absolutely absolutely i i you know it's it's i was looking back at some of the notes i was taking for uh, our chat about uh, Cozy, and I came upon the August 1985. It was, I guess, in Billboard. The um, like the 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 videos added and the power rotation and heavy, you know, uh, heavy rotation and things like that. And it's you know, it's you know, last time forever. There it is. There it is. You know, added. And it was in. I've I seem to remember. I, I didn't have it handy here. I seem to remember it was like in medium rotation or something like that. And that's you know, that's not a it's a great song. It's an interesting video. We have the hair at its peak moment. Um, it's not a song you could dance to, you know? Yeah. We, we talked about how it's a very dark themed and, oh, yay. You know, um, you know, you've got squeeze back with jewels. Um, however, and as we've noted, you know, we could just go on and on about how that's what was accepted. Um, yes. The sound, the look, um, even when they were doing hits of the year, um, they've all acknowledged going into a studio with green screens and just kind of letting everybody do their thing because, you know, that's what they were all doing with Madonna and, yeah. and, and Michael Jackson. And I don't know if it was a one-upmanship uh, for the labels and the marketing people at that time. And what do you do with Squeeze? I mean, that was such a, a wacky juxtaposition of, of, of images and moving footage. <clears throat> I mean, they're in a white studio in, in uh, Last Time Forever, but then they're outside and it's like really rainy and, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> and you're just like wondering. I mean, that was the weird thing too, wouldn't you say, about uh, Love's Crashing Waves? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, like replicate the album cover, which probably was shot the same day. But I mean, really, what was going on with with Glenn's hair? You know, it's <laughs> it's like there's this is like storm time, dude. Get under mm. some cover. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I I want to get back to that, but I you know I, I was just thinking here when you're talking about about where they're going with the green screens and things like that, they end up having thanks to Jules, this incredibly creative, madly successful Hourglass video, you know, that brought them a whole new audience, gave them a hit song, um, got them into Daytona, right? So it, it, it got them, it got them kind of with an MTV scene. And 
okay there the you know the other the the follow up videos may not have been quite quite you know from from Babylon on may not have been quite as good songs but what they did was what they were and they go and followed up with Frank which is an exception I mean that's probably my favorite squeeze album but it's it's not it's not it, there's there was no hourglass right so they they couldn't they couldn't get out of their own way but they shouldn't have gotten in their own way you know what i mean it's like it it would have been a mistake musically which is what they are and we were saying it all along here for of them to have kind of continued down that path and that they didn't is unfortunate because it didn't grow them an audience or retain the audience that they that they earned from hourglass but at the same time they it, it produced a better record than they would have gotten and the assumption being well you know they let's go back to to Difford and Tilbrook is that okay well now they've you know, it's just the two of them. So they can do whatever they want and they can look however they want. And um, I think for a lot of us in the know about the personal background of what was going on, the dynamics between Chris and Glenn was that Glenn had gotten married to a woman who was, um, well, I mean, to put it bluntly, Chris didn't like her. Yeah. And she felt that she could uh, mold Glenn um, into something uh yeah i mean yeah yeah can't you see that dramatic can't you see that dramatic change then is that's where we're we're starting to see like the hair growing out and the flowing robes and the flowing everything and 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 chris was just absolutely against it yeah and and that wasn't uh, again it like anything they were who they were it may not have been it may not have been the same it's just what Glenn was then, you know, and um, it, it may not have been what Glenn had been or would come to be, but it wasn't it wasn't the record company or the manager saying, OK, we're sticking you guys in this hairstyle and these flowing clothes on this rocky shore. It was it was his girlfriend, which, you know, like I say, it is what it is, but it was it was where Glenn was and it, it may not have worked for Chris. And certainly it caused, you know, all kinds of everything. And, you know, if if the girlfriend wasn't a costume designer, but instead was a, a, an accountant, perhaps it would have gone differently. But that's just that's just what happened. Right. Yeah. You take it as it comes. And, you know, we can basically use the Beatles as our barometer. Yes. Situations like this, which is just incredibly weird. And who knew that, you know, like 15 years later, you'd be reliving that situation again. Yeah. Um. You know, what what was also going on at that time, too, was that they were, in essence, by the time Cozy came along, would you say that that was probably their most unified look? Because I, I you know, I'm looking at pictures of Glenn on stage, and he, he went like all, like I said, these satin Miami <laughs> Vice feeling to it. Um, I mean, even think of Phil Collins, how mm, he was dressing yeah. at that time, and uh, the the shoulder pads. You know, think of the entire lineup at Live Aid. You know, where everybody. I mean, you remember seeing uh, uh, Midyear singing, mm. and it's probably like eighty five degrees out there at Wembley Stadium, and this guy comes out with like these flowing things and and jacket and everything, and and he's like just pouring sweat. You know, so a lot of these bands were into like sort of 
shimmering satiny kind of look. So, and then Glenn kind of pushed that over into the stage presence for the cozy fan um, um, tour. He was even playing a white guitar. Yeah. I hadn't even noticed that. That's a great, that's a great, uh, that, that, that's really interesting. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's the times and you know, you, you can, you can roll with the times and they did. And, you know, it, as we talked about before, the sound fit in with the time uh, for better or for worse. And we think it's for better. Um, but it, it just, they, they were who they were until they changed who they were again, you know, and, and two years later, or, or, or I guess, yeah, I guess two years later, they became what they became with Babylon on and they became what they became with, uh, Frank and 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 so on and so on until until this day. Um, it was very, it was 1985. If if they were coming out with that hair and with the 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 pastels and things like that in '89, it would have seemed a little you know stale. If they did in '82, it would have been a little weird. So you know, I I I think that's just what that's just what they did. And maybe Glenn had more. Um, whether it's because of his girlfriend or not, or whether it was just his own uh, thought process, you know, he, he had just more awareness of trying to, to, to fit that. Um, you know, you look at going back a few more years to another nail again, you know, you look at that video and you see they're all dressed sort of, you know, in, in the, 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 the kind of definitive new wavy kind of jackets and you know, blazers and, and slacks and things like that, except for Chris, who looks like he's, you know, like I dress when I'm seeing my kids, you know, youth basketball game, you know, just like a zip up kind of thing and kind of khakis and very like super plain and like the least rock star kind of outfit that could be assembled. Right. Um, There was budgetary concerns, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it, it just, they, they all sort of, they, it just goes along. They all just sort of did what they wanted to do. And if, if I'm sure, I'm sure if there was a plan, Chris will have also worn, you know, he would have been, tubs to you know glenn's crockett yeah oh my god <laughs> am i am i remembering that right yeah you're you're remembering that i don't know whether to give you points on that or <laughs> continue laughing i was gonna say cut the tape <laughs> oh my gosh i i was gonna try and and work fill into there with the miami vice uh, yeah but- he was there too so that's yeah. That's the whole crazy thing is Phil Collins was a Glenn Fry. Would would you say that it was? Would you say that it was in the air tonight? Um, sure, Dan. Or that night? I it could be, it it, it could be, um. But you know, Phil Phil was a continent of his own back then, and yeah. and everybody was trying to strive to be Phil when it came to that. But I mean, um, yeah. I was just saying, uh, uh, uh Glenn Fry. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Went Miami Vice, wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, he kind of looked the part, you know, because you know the way he dressed back then, and um, everybody, like I say, they all went dynasty. You know, they all went Dallas on us, and so maybe we're being too picky by pulling stuff out and 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 kind of being hypercritical about what was going on at the time, because that's kind of what was going on at the time. We just want to forget the shoulder pads um, and the big hair. And maybe they, maybe, maybe they were just being cool and, and we didn't catch it, you know, because mm-hmm. we were so enamored of Bon Jovi uh, and his hair, uh, which is another podcast completely. 
<laughs> from that time period. So we we kind of push on and we kind of see a completely different squeeze two years later. You know, we're not looking at the same Glen that we looked at in Cozy. We're looking at this kind of cool, ultra um, sort of Brit poppy before Brit poppy was cool. And they're all kind of like enjoying themselves. And they do have a little bit of a cohesiveness to to Hourglass because, frankly, that's uh, about a wacky video as, as they'd ever done. Absolutely. And it was, I mean, it was clear they were all into it. It was clear that they, that they did want to, it seemed like they wanted to get that one right versus the other videos they had done to that point where they were, I, well, I shouldn't say that were, that they didn't get, you know, I, I thought last time forever was gotten right for what they were trying to do. Um, and another nail from my heart was gotten, uh, was gotten right. And I mean, of the junction was gotten right, but it, it it seemed like with Hourglass, there was such a real, you know, plan for it. And they, you know, we're not going to make this be at the end of the day. And we're not going to make this be, you know, a take that we didn't realize we were going to be recording and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it, and it, and it worked and it worked perfectly. Um, and they looked, like you said, they were having fun and, and they, they, they just looked cool. Yeah, I my understanding is that it was really between the director, um, whose name escapes me. I want to say Edmondson, who had been very prolific with a lot of comedy and um, music going on at the time, and Jules. And Jules, yep. Big big surprise there. And and, and to and to their credit, to to you know Glenn's credit and I guess Chris's credit, they let Jules do it. I mean, there there could have been for all the egos that are in every band and for all the issues that have been between. Glenn and Jules for a variety of reasons th- that, you know, the credit has to be given for saying, all right, Jules, you're, you know, you're the director or you're the, the assistant director or whatever it is to this video. And it worked, like you said, and they did some kind of also more like that sort of, um, I don't know, for better term, like very Willy Wonka type videos for, um, uh, for the Trust tele- me, open my mouth. Yeah. Tr- oh, that's, that's disturbing (laughs) please find it out there dear listeners because it's it cannot be unseen jules jules wrote in his book that he took as a souvenir one of the teeth because he thought it would make like a cool like couch but then when he got it home and it was independent of the rest of the teeth it it just looked like this giant piece of foam so he threw it out (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Oh That's so jewel sounding. <laughs> you know, and they did uh, 8535937, uh, which had like, if I remember, like big props in that too. Mm. It was like a big telephone in it. Um, now, the one that was weird out of that set was Footprints. That just looked like it was all done, handheld. Jules walking around with his spats and his hat, like in a, um, a fitness facility, if yeah, I remember. Yeah, and they were... <sighs> wasn't there i mean they were also they were also out in the snow right yeah yeah yeah. and and that was reminiscent to me of which was the wasn't there a police video that was really similar to that from was it every little thing not was every little thing she does is magic or there there was a police video from a few years earlier that was also done like in switzerland or something like that Mm -hmm. um and now it's escaping me but uh Yes, that was also very much an outlier, right? 
So it almost looked like, you know, you were like happy that they were heading in that direction and everybody was mm -hmm. like great and looking and all that other sort of stuff. And, you know, then Frank happened and it was kind of like, for most of us, it felt just like, you know, they were on the hamster wheel, even though we totally love it and we understand that what was going on with them and, and, and everything. And then things got very professional, I would say, you know, where there were few and far between for them, it seemed MTV and the whole look of, of didn't really seem to matter. It was just going to be casual. And if they had to do a video, they'd get dressed up and they do it. Mm -hmm. But uh, as we know, you know, um, Chris was really in a bad way back then. Uh, I think he just went along for the ride for a lot of stuff that was happening until everything just kind of, you know, fell apart um, after, after Domino, you know, it just really wasn't a band anymore. And then Glenn goes off and does like solo shows. And then he's kind of back to being his old Mr. Scruffy Tilbrook kind of guy. Uh, you know? The t-shirt and I know they weren't pajama pants, but it sort of looked like it, right? When he was playing those, when he was playing those solo shows by himself in the, in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when I interviewed Amy Pickard, who was the director for uh, his documentary, I mean, that's exactly where it was. You know, he was just, you know, throwing on a T-shirt and pants and, and whatever and, you know, grabbing the guitar and heading off into the into the sunset. And um, but he's always said that that time was really good for him to be to be away from a band and to be away from a structure. And he, you know, for want of a better word, he certainly didn't have any sort of set style um, with anything, just kind of going and making his music until he decided to put together the fluffers. Mm -hmm. And that's when he seemed to kind of get back into, okay, I'm going to be the front guy on this one and I'm going to kind of grow up and present myself, you know, kind of like as a, as a front person. Um, is, is that how you get it? I saw the fluffers once um, in Chicago. Uh, I saw them a few times. I think I was out of Chicago by then. Um, I, I want to go back briefly to the play era only because it was the first time I saw squeeze and I saw him at the Beacon Theater in 1992, I want to say. Late 91, early 92. And I, I was in the last row because there were eight of us that went, friends from high school. So the only place there were eight seats even remotely near each other were, was the last row of the Beacon Theater in New York City. And even from up there, my vision was good enough back then, um, I saw Glenn was wearing these beautiful blue shoes that matched his blue shirt. And I thought that was the coolest thing. Not that he had matching shoes and a shirt because yeah, but it, it just, it was just, it was just cool. I'm like, man, they sound so good. They look so cool. This is fantastic. This just must be what squeeze is. Right. Um, and I'll like, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. That was my defining, uh, you know, seminal live squeeze moment was them like looking good and, and seeming professional, but to get back to the fluffers, I remember them being casual, but yeah, but but professional. It, it wasn't it, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't quite as casual as Glenn on his own doing his busking shows. Right. I mean, he had you know most of the people um, you know that he's performing with now. It seems like there's this big shift as as he starts to move back into a sort of a band unit, and then. Um, you know, doing the book, a lot of people say doing the book with Jim Drury uh, and, and talking with Glenn about um, 
you know, he, you know, did a lot of stuff on his own and was doing solo gigs still, but helping to see the history with Chris and discussing everything kind of moved them all back into a point of, uh, you know, reconciliation, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and, and, and Chris had, you know, noted that, you know, he was trying to get his life back together. So the interesting part now is to see post, I don't know, what do you want to say, 2004, somewhere in there, um, the look actually, to me, has felt the most unified mm-hmm. since since that time, since, say, like the reunification of, like, say, 2010 was Spot the Difference. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, getting John Bentley back in the band and utilizing him, getting Don Snow, Johnson. Savannah, um, <laughs> back into the band to do pieces. You know, it's like you're you're flipping back and forth. But now, Glenn has like taken it into another sphere where he now is getting much older than he was, and wanting to present a more professional uh, uh, stance. And and Chris wearing his glasses on stage now. However, we will touch base really, really well. Maybe not briefly. <laughs> um, but we will note that, yeah, the hair uh, at this stage in the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years maybe, has pretty much remained the same. Mm-hmm. However, there was a period there in the 2000s where Mr. Tilbrook wisely or unwisely decided <laughs> to, <laughs> don't do this to me, Dan, <laughs> grow a goatee. <clears throat> Now, I, I, if you want to describe to people who haven't seen it, I actually did a you know, kind of a little perusal of contemporary descriptions of it from newspapers or, you know, web posts or Twitter comments. And I saw, I stopped after three. One, of, one person described it as a ZZ Top training beard, <laughs> which is quite good. I, again, none of these are for me. Um, one person, and I, I don't know this actor. I mean, I knew the actor when I saw his face. I didn't know the name, but people probably would know him. British actor Brian Blessed. Um, a Brian Blessed beard. And then also a General Custer beard. Oh, yeah. Anything Civil War era, right? A little unfamiliar to <laughs> would our... Would be appropriate at this point. International listeners, but um, but certainly to the American listeners, it's evocative. But yeah, it's, so it was, it was, it was unique. So... You know, I'm not quite exactly sure what the thing was going on with that. It seemed to be there was a beard and then there was this goatee and, you know, uh, uh, he's not dyeing his hair. So it's graying out. Um, So then all of a sudden, you know, that kind of went away. And then we're kind of left with, you know, a little bit. Are we really are we really blowing through the beard that quickly? Yeah. I mean, can I, can I, can I offer a few, not even my own comments, just again, contemporaneous discussion. Okay. Outside of our own personal. This is not my own personal thing. So I, I (laughs) poked around a little bit on the internet and just, again, I remember it in person. I remember it happening, but just for those who did not experience it in in real time, um, this is from an interview he gave uh, in April, 2012, someone asking, you know, saying he, you know, you're recently clean shaven. I know you had a fantastic beard. Um, he said, you know, uh, let's see, uh, I very much enjoyed having it. I'm not obsessed with the way I look or what people think of it, but I think it's true that 99 out of 100 people absolutely hated me with a beard. Uh, and for some reason they didn't feel any kind of compunction in telling me that's how they felt. 
If people felt they don't like your suit or your shoes, they'll kind of hold back telling you. With a beard, people tend to spur all their hatred onto it and tell you straight away what an idiot you look like with it. Um, so that was one quote. Uh, Danny Baker, uh, the uh, British actor, comedian, author, I suppose, um, and, and childhood friend of Different and Tilburg, um, or at least different, right? Is yeah, that correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, he tweeted out at some point in 2012, met up with Chris Jefferson and Glenn Tilbrook. Let the beacons be lit with the news. Glenn has fully shaved off the beard. That had six likes, but 39 retweets. So people <laughs> people were, were highly, you know, uh, engaged with that. Um, this is totally newsworthy, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then sort of in line with that, um, just again, a little bit of um, this is more hair trivia than anything else. Um, 2015, uh, this is a Glenn Tilbrook quote, and it's in kind of relation to filming. Uh, when they when him and, and Chris filmed that scene in Cradle, uh, Cradle to a Grave, uh, Dane Baker's show, um, they were like the wedding band, right? That yeah. sound right? Um, a day's shoot, half a second in screen time, but it was great fun to see how they were playing that all together, and it was great fun to wear sideburns, which I've never really properly grown. I've had a full beard, but never sideburns. So, there we go. Wow. Yeah, that interesting, is, right? That's really, um, that's revolutionary thought process. I've never not thought about that. I, I think that I never see sideburns on Paul McCartney circa 1964. Mm. Um, shows you the level of obsession we have with right. hair. But wow, um, that's going to go make me look at some stuff that I've never thought of before. So there you thank, go. You, thank you for yeah. dropping that little uh, that little uh, piece of information. I appreciate that, that could, it. That could go in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, you know that that's the really funny part is he was absolutely right. And then, you know, we're going to skip ahead just a, a little bit. And, and that just kind of shows you now with the social media situation, uh, you know, vis-a-vis hair situation where there was a, a, a lot of talk, a lot of talk about the man bun. Can we talk yes. about the man bun, Dan? Sure. I think we both saw squeeze on toward in that, uh, in that era. Yeah, the, the, was that, that the era of twenty twenty one? Was that the era twenty twenty? Is that an error already? Um, <laughs> we're measuring the errors by by Glenn's hair. So the funny thing is, I saw an Instagram post from that time period because um, uh, Simon is very their drummer is is very into social media and everything like that. And you know, he was the one who was taking all of the the videos and all the posts and stuff like that during that tour. And there's a picture. Uh, if you've seen Simon, uh, he's he definitely has like hair loss, you know, so he's trying to be real cute with this little tuft of baby hair at the top. And and it's just, you know, it is kind of cute. And, and, and it's just Simon. It feels like Simon. But then there's another picture of the two of them facing each other backstage. And it looks like one of the crew or the, somebody that they know that they work with uh, on stage is working Glenn's man bun. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. Does everybody see this happening? Does everybody see this happening? <laughs> and of course, the people that spoke out the most were the women. You know, like I, I, I have to think about, you know, all the women that were swooning over over Glenn in in Up the Junction because Up the Junction just recently, along with those other early videos, oh yeah, 
HD uh, for whatever that can be, you know, from 78. But they're all going, you know, completely nuclear. Like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't remember a time when Glendon Link was so cute and all this other sort of stuff, you know. And then I'm looking at Glenn in the pandemic. Uh, mm. well, he did a lot of stuff in his home studio with his fam with his family, mm-hmm. with his grown children, um, <laughs> who now- who have who have long hair. Who have long haired and goatees. And goatees. Yes. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Leon Tilbrook and Mr. Lewis Tilbrook. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see that juxtaposition now because the last time I got a really good look, because uh, he had been playing his solo shows in tandem with a lot of those squeeze shows that mm-hmm. went in uh, the last year. Um, he's got a cut now, kind of like a la, I don't know, remember that George Clooney look back? It's that, what do they call that? The Roman haircut kind of look. Okay, sure. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, but there was one that I've seen pretty recently. I think it was November, December, uh, where he's got it all slicked back and yes. it is short, but it's all slicked yes. back. I, I, I saw him over the summer, a uh, summer of 2022 for, uh, people not listening, uh, people listening at some strange time um in summer of 2022 i saw him and the hair was slicked back which is fascinating look isn't it it's so i don't i'm not sure i i think it's kind of nice yeah i mean you know chris has totally embraced his look uh i think personally by wearing his glasses now Mm -hmm. on stage so that's that's the chris that we know and that doesn't seem too far a stone's throw from when you think of chris in the last even 40 years this is like kind of to me with with glenn slicking the hair back um they're all getting really snazzy dressed up now on Mm. stage uh, especially when when glenn wears that sort of um yellow green striped uh outfit Mm -hmm. Um, and everybody's wearing nice shoes and, um, they're really presenting a very professional front. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I, you know, I want to comment on that because I, I'm, I'm actually looking at a photo of when I saw him over the summer and he looks great. He's wearing a really nice blazer and, uh, uh, slacks. And I'm trying to see if there's a tie, but I kind of was at an angle. I think there was one. Um, but I do want to say. When I saw him with the man bun in 2021, he was also performing in shorts. This, this was an outdoor show in August. And it was, again, f- f- incredibly fascinating look. Uh, I, it, he was the only one wearing shorts in the band. Um, it was it was really interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm staring at the photo right now. I should send it to you right now. It's, it's very, I mean, Glenn, yeah, or Chris is wearing, you know, a red suit. And I guess, I guess Simon's wearing kind of a, a like a plaid button down shirt with the sleeves cut off. And uh, yeah, but Glenn, Glenn stands out a little bit. Yeah. He, he was, he was not very tan, but neither am I. And that's, uh, that's not like a criticism. Yeah, no, that that's to, that's totally fine. You do, you don't need to be especially you know uh, brown, even in August. You know, we just got to be careful that you know he doesn't get sunburned. Right, right. Being the British guy that he is, but like I say, everybody uh, within the band today, I would say, is very spiffy. And yes, 
you've got Melvin. They all kind of, it's not like blending together, but you've got Melvin and then you kind of work it over to Simon mm-hmm. and Steve Smith. Then you've got Chris and Glenn up front, uh, even Owen. And then Lord Large at the side, he's he's almost getting to be very Jules-like. Yes. Uh, he's looking spectacular. Yes. But I'm very curious about Owen. Now, Owen's a, probably about, uh, I think he's almost 20 years younger than Chris and Glenn. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting to see him up there uh, kind of moving along and and uh, giving a, a really different kind of look uh, to the band. I mean, you know, he could be up there, uh, you know, going great guns with, you know, gymnastics or whatever, but his demeanor totally fits. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he took lead on a lot of stuff for the Food for Thought EP. Um, I think he was the one who was mixing and the, the, did the final mix down on it. Um, but anyway, you know, like you said, we've, we've been this sort of got this sort of, uh, barometer of, of where the band is and where they, where they are with Glenn's hair. Um, I mean, do you see anything going on or do you think like this is, you know, if we got like <laughs> somewhat serious, uh, for, <laughs> for a minute, do you think we have reached that point now in the early aughts that this is the next 10, 15, 20 years for him? Uh, of, of the, of the, of this look specifically yeah. or of, yeah. you know, again, if, again, if we're going to talk seriously, I mean, his father passed away recently, right? Last year sometime. Yes. And, and you wonder, you know, my father passed away 16 years ago, something like that. And there certainly was a change in not necessarily the way I looked. Um, Cause I was much younger than, than, Glenn was when his father passed away, but the, but there is sort of a feeling of all right. Well, now I'm in this new phase of my life. I, again, no matter what age, because Glenn was a was much older than than when when I lost my father. So you wonder whether there is some sort of like okay, not not that he not that he can't wear a man bun because I'm 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 sure he could or would, but maybe there's just this thought of all right. Well, this is this is sort of how I want to present myself now. Period. Um, but. I mean, he's changed so much and it, it's that change is also part of him, right? You know, the 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 willingness to sort of every couple of to us, it's every, you know, couple of uh, of years, right? Because we only see the concerts and the record covers and the I guess nowadays the tweets and the and the stuff on social media, Facebook posts and whatnot. But, um, you know, there there was who knows who knows when he changed his look in 1983 because there wasn't any sort of social media covering that when like when did he grow that beard in 83 and like what prompted that oh yeah like for the i mean and it wasn't totally public knowledge mm-hmm. um you know unless you you go back nowadays of course you can and see that poster that they both posed for chris and glenn for the labeled with love musical mm-hmm. that was very homegrown i mean that was in deptford and very supported by their community mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, as far as that beer was concerned, that was probably just like, you know what? I'm done with squeeze. Yeah, you know, and I'm gonna done, done being the pretty boy, and I'm gonna make myself all scruffy, and everybody else, you know, is gonna just go on and do their thing, and Chris and I are just gonna be who we are. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I mean, but but it also could have been. I mean, I mean, it could have been anything, right? I mean, you know, P- Paul McCartney stopped shaving because he was so depressed with the break of the Beatles. I don't know whether Glenn was depressed with the break of the squeeze. Maybe he wasn't trying to impress a woman. I mean, yeah, you know, it really could have been anything because no one's ever said, why did you grow that beard in 83? 
for 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 two weeks for three months we don't we don't even know how long you had it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he may have shaved it the, the the next day isn't it weird it, and and i know we want to wrap this up soon but I, do we do we do we do <laughs> <laughs> i i still have one more thing to bring it back to the beginning but but no 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 i do want you to do that too as well but um I do find this whole subject fascinating because we can get so granular about, you know, we're we're going to say it about the Beatles looks, like how you said, we can pick out this era, that we can pick out the freaking day, you know, pre-social media because they were covered so heavily everywhere they went. And nowadays it's, it's either taken back by the artist, you know, they're the ones who are in control most of the time now. Um, and that's pretty true, actually, of Squeeze as well, because they want to do it on their own. Um, you know, there's there's no label really to answer to anymore. They're not really caring about sales anymore. Um, they just want to perform like McCartney. You know, they just want to play. This is what they've done since they were 14. And there's, you know, you just take it as it is, take it how I look and, you know, whatever, you know. And like you said, if people want to criticize, go ahead. Super easy to do nowadays and hide behind the keyboard and and hide behind the smartphone, you know, with whatever you're going to say about them. Uh, But thankfully, you know, we can, well, in many ways, rise above that. Mm-hmm. That, that is that is a terrific way to put it and i i think again they're they're at they're at the stage in their i'm even gonna say age they're at the stage in their career and they're at the stage with their fan base and we're at the stage of where we all are with with our favorite bands right that it's like you know i i i'm i would love to know what comes next i i want him to have some sort of other look to come you know um just because it's it's fun we could we could talk about it more um, but it, but I also like it just, just as long as they're happy in their skin, like, like you would want any loved one, right. To be, to be happy in their skin. I love it. That's great. That's what, that's what I'm thinking. And also the fact that the, the, the rumor mill has been pretty strong about what's going to be happening in this year, besides just doing their festival dates in the UK, mm-hmm. it seems to be being broadcast that because we're coming up on a, like a 50th anniversary, yes. uh, that, uh, Glenn has been saying, well, uh, in fact, he actually mentioned this in an interview when he did a solo show last year that they want to go back and get all the stuff that they th- basically didn't feel was right at the time and put that out, but also have a new new album come out because they haven't done one in uh, the, 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 knowledge. the knowledge. Yeah. I mean, they did the. Yeah. Eight, eight, yeah. 18, 17 or 18. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear about that because it's just going to say, you know, and they sound great. I mean, mm-hmm. they just sounded great. And that was only, you know, just a couple of months ago. It's, it's a funny thing. Again, always going back to the Beatles, right? So the Beatles, you know, if when they when they started, if they started changing personnel, again, Billy Preston aside, because that was a terrific, incredible decision to, to, to include him. But, um, you know, they were they were the four of them, period. They was they were the four. Squeeze so early had a fluid lineup that it, in my eyes, it created like an acceptance of, okay, well, we're going to bring in this person. Then we're going to bring in this person then. And like squeeze is really big now. You know, there's a lot of people in squeeze, but like, that's okay. I'm okay with that because they've always sort of had, 
that ability, you know, sure they were five five members for quite a long time, but but they've always if if different than Tilbrook are in the middle there, um it, that fluidity is okay because they are finding the right matches. They're finding the right ways to supplement and and to complement them, you know, and add to them. So yeah, and it and it doesn't hurt. Like I said, you know, with with all of these people uh, getting to know them better, um, and you know, not only accepting the you know the past and and questioning, you know, like we say, like what the heck was going on back then with clothing and style and videos and hair and and you know we do that because we love these guys. You know, this is definitely not a knock on <laughs> anything that has to do with them because you and I don't have the time for that. You know. <laughs> We want to be here to talk and to praise the entity mm-hmm. known, as, known as Squeeze and for giving us the great music that they've given us. I mean, that that's how it is. If there's anything that's been bad said or or hysterical or poignant or anything, you know, we're just going to take that and and be happy, you know, mm-hmm. that, we can do that, that we can do that definitely. No, we're, we're, we're very lucky to have them. We're lucky to have those visuals too. I mean, it's even putting beyond you know, the ability to see them live, which is obviously sound and vision together in one to have those videos, to have, to have all those looks. It's, it's, we're, we're lucky that we're lucky to have that. You know, it, it's, I think about what people as interesting as it must've been to have bought sheet music, you know, in the twenties and thirties and kind of, you know, just, all right, I'm just going to play this song at home. Right. Myself. If I'm, if I'm skilled enough to do that. We, we are lucky in that sense of all the, now I'm getting very grandiose, right? Um, in, a, in a podcast about Glenn Tilbrook's hair. You know, we're very lucky to kind of live in this era where we have music videos and, and albums and album covers, big album covers. And, you know, nowadays, social media. I, I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing them in England right now or this summer, but I'll be able to watch them. Um, and that's really exciting to be able to do. I mean, you know, we're, we're from the era where we're, you know, I remember going to the library and looking up LexisNexis to just read stories about them. Yeah. Or buying back issues of Rolling Stone and yeah, just wanting to see what was written back then. And back then to me was only four or five years previous. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted like any smattering of anything that was written about them. And it, 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 it you know, cause it was important, you know, it was important enough. And the fact that they're willing to keep creating and keep moving forward, but yet embrace the past and not become a nostalgia because that's like, yes, apparently uh, n- that is like, you know, forbidden within mm-hmm. Glenn Tilbrook's uh, lexicon as, as, as far as I know. So, yeah. So I'm really happy. And um, yeah, he can keep his gray slick back hair. That's totally awesome. <laughs> I don't know how many dapper, well-dressed 65 year olds uh, can get away with that except Glenn Tilbrook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I I will wrap it up by bringing it back to something you just said and bringing it back to not quite the beginning, but close to the beginning. Talking about looking back at Squeeze and, you know, hoping to find some nugget of them in an old magazine or an old newspaper. So do you know, I don't know whether this is the first time Glenn Zilbrook was in a newspaper, but it has to be one of the first times, if not the first time, that he was in a newspaper. Circa, it's 1968, 1969. Do you, do you know of this, what, what I'm about to recount the story of? No. Glenn Tilbrook was was probably around 11, right? Actually, I take it back. Glenn Tilbrook was around 11, so um, it was around 68, 69. Glenn Tilbrook was thrown out of Eltham Green School. You know why he was expelled? I hesitate to say. 
It wasn't. It wasn't grades. Must have been the hair. For having shoulder length hair. Wow. The hair was not allowed to be below collar length. He was expelled in his second or third year. He was interviewed. There are two ways you could read about this or see about this. He was interviewed by the BBC in 2012. I think it had to do with something to do with the school and the, the headmaster involved. He was in the newspaper at age 11 for being thrown out of the school. There's a picture of him outside the school gates. Do you know where you, you, me, and everyone else out there could see a fleeting part of that newspaper, or perhaps you could find it on your own camera reels during the Cradle to the Grave tour, during Cool for Cats, they flashed up video of that newspaper. Oh my God. I I will send you a video clip that I have handy of just that. And it is about an 11 year old that was thrown out of school for having long hair. So going back to 11, it, I mean, that, that was Glenn. It was, it was his essence, right? I mean, that's just who he was. Wow. So good for you, Glenn. <laughs> he's, he's, he is real. He is sincere. There is nothing, you know, when he had that hair in 85, there was nothing about that that was not, you know, from the heart. Right. That that he wore it proudly. Yes. Anything yes. From, from the goatee to 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 the man bun to the shorts that you sent me the picture of. That's right. <laughs> Somehow or another, I'll work that into the podcast uh, roundup. <laughs> the, the the quote he said and again the the, the uh, packet of three has a has a link to this to this uh, uh radio broadcast glenn said why he didn't cut and stay in school i felt particularly attached to it okay which you know um that says it all right, right. there i mean what how else could you elaborate <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we feel about him and them yeah we're so attached we can't separate ourselves and that's why we love it's them true. so much. It's true. Yeah. Dan, thank you so oh. much for that. Well, for that <laughs> bombshell, which just goes to show that, you know, even if we think we're over um, a certain aspect of squeeze, we're really not done no. yet. No, I hope we're never done. I don't think we'll ever be done. I refuse to be done. I, I refuse to have this. And I know we'll be passing this on to an alternate universe. <laughs> where we'll be talking about something, something to do with Squeeze that nobody else will be talking about. It's there. 